We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 in just a couple of minutes. As Pastor Stephen already mentioned today, this is Labor Day weekend and we're starting to kick things off. And you've seen that in the bulletin. Uh, we have a number of kickoffs happening this week. A young adult Bible study picnic kickoff on Tuesday night here at the church. On Wednesday night, we're kicking off our fall ministries here at the church. Uh, we have a clubhouse kickoff with some inflatables that will be out in the church yard. We also have our youth kickoff happening in the youth center and men's and women's Bible studies that will both be starting up uh, this Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Our vans and bus will begin running again this week. So all of those things begin to start to stir on Wednesday night. And we would love for you to come and join us for that. Many of you are already coming and being a part of that. Some of you, though, know friends and neighbors. You have Your children have friends that might want to come and be a part of that. And so we would love for that to happen uh, this coming Wednesday night and continuing on after that. And you've also seen in your bulletin one more kickoff, and Pastor Stephen mentioned this, is ne next Sunday we will kick off new Sunday school classes. We'll, we'll uh, promote our children into their next class for their age group, and then we will have new adult classes that start next week as well. And we start that off with a pancake breakfast. And so we hope that you can come and join us next Sunday morning. Uh, from 9 to 9.30 or so, we'll have pancakes uh, here and, and hope that you can come and join us for that. And then we will begin our new classes at 9.45. And I'm telling you that this morning because we have had a history of starting our classes well after 9.45 at occasion. And so I'm telling you, this is our schedule, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this next week, I'm probably gonna say it for a couple weeks. We have in our bulletin that we start at 9.30, and we want you to come at 9.30 because we have donuts and coffee, and we want you to come and hang out and visit and fellowship. We hope that you'll come. You can come anytime in the morning after nine and have coffee and donuts. And at 9.45, we hope that everybody's in their class ready to go. That will help our teachers to know that they have that amount of time for their lessons. Uh, that will help the noise around the church to be lessened. It will help our children. They have a singing time that happens in the children's chapel from 9.30 to 9.45. And so we're going to try to orchestrate everything to that end. And so we hope that you can come and join us next week. We want you to have pancakes with us. We want you to fellowship together before Sunday school. We think that's super important too. I'm not trying to lessen that. But we want to make sure at 9.45 that we're in our classrooms and ready to go starting next week. So, with all of that, let's jump into Acts chapter 20. We've been marking the end of Paul's third and final missionary journey. He's made a couple of journeys through Asia and, and around in, into Greece. He, he made, he's on his third journey and he wanders around and, and he has eyes now, as I've said the last couple of weeks. He has eyes to get back to Jerusalem and then to continue on to Rome. And he's become single-minded in that focus. And so he's trying to to tie up loose ends. He's trying to meet with the believers at the churches that he has planted to get them settled so that he can go to what he figures and actually becomes his last journey, his final journey, so that he can get to Rome, knowing that this last journey will probably be the end for him. And so he began that journey. We talked about that last week. This journey is a, is a journey of encouragement. There's, there's a number of times that that Luke, as he's telling the story about, about Paul, he says that Paul encouraged, that he brought encouragement, that there was a lot of comfort in the churches as he shares in this portion of chapter 20. 
So Paul is wandering back through those churches, bringing encouragement to them. And so last week, what we just looked at was what, how does Paul bring encouragement and how does the church receive encouragement? How is the church encouraged in this passage in particular? And so we, we shared, I shared four ways last week that Paul brought encouragement. He, he intentionally brought it. Paul, Paul actually goes and encourages people. We, we talked about that and, and his intentionality in going and sharing encouraging things from the word. And one of the things that I shared last week is that he doesn't do it in a vacuum. He, he doesn't just get to wander through and share things, but, but he's, this is a hard time in Paul's life. The church that he planted in Corinth where he, where he stayed for two plus years ministering to the people there in Corinth, they, they've wandered a long way from the faith. He's written them a hard, harsh letter trying to bring them back and he hasn't heard anything back. He doesn't know how that's been received. He doesn't know what's happening in that church. And so actually part of his, his circle that you see on the map there, it, it, he, he didn't go across the sea. Instead, he wandered back on the land because he, he was biding time for part of it. He didn't want to go directly to Corinth because he wasn't sure how he'd be received. And so all of this is, is stewing in him, and, 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 and it's not easy for him in these days, and yet he intentionally goes back and shares encouragement. We also talked about the, the group of men that were with him, that, that sometimes it's, it's a good way to gain encouragement is to, is to be strengthened by the cooperative journey together. And they had a literal journey, as, as you see on the map. They literally walked together down the road, rubbing alongside each other, encouraging one another. They were also carrying an offering. There was a member from each church in those areas that he had planted that were protecting the offering that they were going to provide to the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. And we said that there's encouragement that's oftentimes found in generous and sacrificial giving. Paul hit on that again today at the end of chapter 20. And that the road trip that these men took together was encouragement for them and then long-term encouragement for the churches that they were a part of. The, the, the molding that's happening to them here on this road as they walk with Paul is going to help them as they go home and lead their churches at home. The church was encouraged. Last week we talked about the church was encouraged and strengthened by worshiping and by being in the word together. That the word itself brings life. And we saw, we saw that life in the story of Eutychus. Eutychus was the boy who sat by the window who was, was five hours into preaching by Paul during that church service, got tired, was, was the, the, the room was stuffy because the lamps were lit and sucking the oxygen out of the room, and Eutychus sits in the windowsill trying to get a little more air, trying to stay awake, falls asleep, falls out the window, and falls three stories to the ground and dies. And Paul wanders down to him and brings him back to life. And I, I said last week that that's not a normal occurrence. That was not a normal occurrence in the church in Troas. It is not a normal occurrence for us here at Richland. But we do, we do see dead men come to life in Christ. We do see people move from being dead to being alive. We do see people who move from being lost to being found. And nothing encourages the church like seeing dead people come to life. Nothing encourages and strengthens like seeing people truly come to faith. 
And we rejoice in the life-changing, hope-giving, eternity-lasting, righteous robes of Jesus' finished work. Nothing encourages people like that. And so, Paul shares that encouragement. He leads, he leads those churches and leads those believers. And now we come to the rest of chapter 20. And we read what happens now after he has wandered back through all of those churches. We're going to begin in verse 13 of chapter 20. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, so, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board, and we went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we sailed to Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course of the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things... I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul has a lot of speeches in the book of Acts. He, he's made, made speeches 
trying to evangelize Jews so that they would, would hear and understand that God had sent his son Jesus as the Messiah. Paul has, has been in front of the authorities trying to, to justify the ministry that he has had to the authority, also trying, trying to make a defense before the authorities and even a little bit trying to evangelize the authorities. He's also come before many unbelievers. He's come between lots, before lots of Gentile groups and tried to, to share with them the hope that God has now passed on, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Paul has made lots and lots of speeches, and there are still lots of speeches yet to come. But this message that Paul shares, at least in the book of Acts, is unique here in the book of Acts. This is one of the few speeches, this is one of the few messages that Paul shares directly to believers, directly to people who have already come to know and to set their hope in Christ. This is one of the few speeches that Paul makes here. And yet, as we read it, it doesn't sound all that unusual to us. It would be very Pauline is the word that people would share here. This passage, in fact, lots of these same ideas and same thoughts are found in the letters that Paul writes to Titus and to Timothy when he shares with them personal instructions on how they are to lead and how they are to help the churches that they are a part of. What we read here sounds a lot like those letters. Paul gives us, Paul gives us some of those same insights. As he's talking to the church leaders of the church of Ephesus, he gives many of the same advice that he gives to Titus and to Timothy. And, really, to give to us as believers. And so this morning, I just want to look real quickly at some of the things that Paul shares here in his speech, in his last words to the elders of Ephesus. He, he kind of has three different sections in this, in this passage. He starts with talking about his, his own example, and really that's the majority of what he talks about, his, his own example on the way that he has led and the way that he has ministered. And in the midst of that, he'll take a little moment to give an exhortation to the elders and then he'll come back and talk a little bit more about his example, hoping that they have seen in him the way to lead the church and the way to minister to believers. In fact, later in one of his letters, Paul will say, follow me as I follow Christ. He wants to lead by example all the way through. And so this passage here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, as he begins this speech, he starts that process. Here's what I want you to do. Follow my example. And so Paul does share for us several examples. Paul speaking specifically to the elders, the leaders of the church of Ephesus. He, he didn't want, Luke even tells us that directly, Paul did not want to go back to Ephesus, but he did want to have conversation with those leaders. And so uh, Paul passes by Ephesus. He doesn't want to land in Ephesus. He doesn't want to wander back. He knows that if he goes there, there's going to be too many people that want to see him, too many conversations that he's going to have to have, too many, too long of a goodbye, and he's trying to get to Jerusalem. If you remember earlier, he'd wanted to get to Jerusalem for the Passover supper, and because of the plot of the Jews, he was not able to get on the boat that he had wanted to get on. He knew it wasn't safe for him. 
And so he had to travel back by land. That was part of that, that route you saw on the map. And now he, he wants to get there for Pentecost. He, he, he's not going to be able to get there for Passover, but now he wants to try to get there for the Pentecost. And so he doesn't want to stop in Asia. So he stops in, in Miletus. He calls for the, the Ephesus elders, the leaders of that church, to come so that he can share some last-minute details with them. And so they come over to, to Miletus, and he gives them this call. And I believe he gives it to all of us. He gives it to church leaders. He gives it to elders. But he gives it to all believers. And he says, he says four things, I think, right here at the beginning that, that he, the example that he had, that he calls us to as well. He starts by saying, Paul says to those leaders in Ephesus, and he says to you and I, I served with humility. I served the Lord with all humility, Paul says. Ministry is not about you, is what he's saying. It's not about you. And we have talked about that a lot. I've talked about that a lot here at Richland. Our ministry is not about us. Our church is not about you. We exist, we exist to magnify Jesus Christ. We exist to point to him. We do not exist for you and I. And so Paul, I think there's a reason why he starts right away with that. He says, I have served with humility. It has not been about me. My ministry has not been about me. There isn't a place, there isn't a space in this for ego. In fact, Paul says in other places, he, he's, he's shared and he says, I, I, I was the best of the best. I was, I was the leader of the Pharisees. I was I was." as good as you could be. It could have been about me, he says. But it hasn't been about me. It's not about me. I've served with humility. And so he calls the leaders of Ephesus, he calls you and I to not have eyes that are set on ourselves and our own abilities, but instead to have eyes that are lifted to Christ as we prayed earlier today. He serves with humility because ministry is not about him. But he also continues on. He says, I have served the Lord with all humility. But he also says, I have served, I have served with tears. It's been personal for me, he says. I've served with tears. I've built relationships. I've I've gone through this ministry walking side by side with you, he says to the people of Ephesus. But I think he probably said this in every church that he wandered through, that whole tour that he was on. I was personal with you. I was there for some of the most important moments in your life. When, when he lived there for, for two years or three years in Corinth and Ephesus, he said, I was there for, for the most important things. And I walked right beside you and I cried with you. I cried with you when those 
in your family passed on. I cried with you when the babies were born. I cried with you in the midst of everything because what Paul is trying to get through to the people of Ephesus, these leaders of the Ephesian church, is to say that ministry is relational. Ministry is relational. You can't serve, you can't serve well if you won't build relationships. And he's not just talking I think he's having this instruction with the elders, but Luke writes it for all of us to hear and to see and to read because this is true for every one of us. Part of being a part of this corporate body, of this church, is that we are going to build relationships with each other so that we might serve each other well. Because ministry is relational. And relationships take time. You can't build them quickly. It doesn't happen very fast. Relationships take time. It takes time to get to the place where you serve through tears. Relationships take effort. They take work. They don't come quickly, and they don't come easily. Relationships, especially relationships where you can strengthen one another and encourage one another and sharpen one another, where you actually know the needs and cares of one another so that you might minister minister through tears, those kinds of relationships, they take work. They take inconvenience. They take moments of uncomfortability. They're not always easy, they're not always quick, and they often are very hard. And yet, that's exactly what Paul is calling us to. He says, my example was to serve with humility. My example is to serve with tears. I was there in those really hard moments where we had deep relationship. And he also says, thirdly, I served with trials. Ministry, Paul is telling them, has risk. Ministry has risk. And for us, the risk looks different than it does for Paul. Paul even says the the Holy Spirit has has already been speaking to me that every city that I go to, every place that I go, there's, there's possible imprisonment, maybe even death. There was a moment, if you remember, several chapters back when he was in Corinth and he was ministering there, the, that Jesus actually came to Paul. The words were read, if you remember that, and Jesus says, Don't fear. Don't worry, no one's going to put a hand on you while you're here. And he had a settledness that we hadn't seen in Paul for quite a while at that moment. Now, Paul is not settled again. Paul is on the move, he's hurried in his movements, he's in a rush, and he knows that every place that he goes may be the last place that he stops. That every place that he goes could be imprisonment or afflictions or even death. Ministry has risk, and Paul knows that risk. He knows it even better than you and I do. We're in one of the safest places in all of the world to minister. But ministry has risk. Ministry also has, with great risk, ministry has great reward as well. And Paul talks about that. You saw it on the verse that we had on the screen earlier this morning as you came into the sanctuary. Paul talks about that often. He says, I I fight hard. And I run the race. I fight hard. I finish the course. 
Paul longs for the day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because there is great reward in ministry. Paul says, I've served with humility, I've served with tears, I've served with trials. And then he says to the Ephesian elders, he says, I have declared to you, your blood is, is not on my hands any longer because I have declared to you the entire counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. He says, I have never shied away from telling you the truth about what is in Scripture. I have never shied away from telling you the entire counsel of God that God is holy and that you are not. And yet, in the midst of God being holy and you being unholy, God sent his perfect holy son as a redeemer, as a rescuer, as a sin offering for you so that you might have redemption in him. He doesn't shy away from that. He tells that story over and over and over. Not a story. He tells that truth over and over and over. That's his message over and over. The whole counsel of God. And continues on to say, Jesus has made a way for you to have your sins forgiven. He has made a way for you to be redeemed. And now, now that we're in this New Testament era, Paul continues in sharing the whole counsel of God to say, now the Spirit is at work in you, bringing you more and more conformed into the image of Jesus, more and more, more and more into your sanctification process. The Spirit works in you and enables you, making you more and more like him. I've served with humility. I've served with tears. I've served with trials. I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. And then he takes a moment to exhort the leaders. He says, I've given you the whole counsel of God that, that, that God is at work in us. And then he says, after he's thinking about that message, thinking about this whole counsel of God that he has provided, that he has never shied away from, he says, be careful to the Ephesian leaders. He says, be careful. Pay close attention because wolves are going to come in among you. He's thinking about this message. He's thinking about how it's already been twisted and turned, how, how he already, he had ministered there in Corinth. He had had a settledness there in Corinth. He had, he had raised up believers. There was a strong church in Corinth and he left. And wolves had come in and distorted the truth so much so that he wrote that letter and sent it off. And they repented again. And he was able to visit them again and, and, and wrote that second letter, sending it to them, grateful for their repentance. And he's remembering all of that in this moment, and he says to the leaders in Ephesus, he says, it's gonna be hard to stay on task. Watch out. People are gonna come. They're gonna distort the truth. You're gonna think things that are wrong are right. So be careful. Pay close attention. It's hard to stay on task. 
He even says, your, your, your hearts are going to get twisted by the things that are said by those that come into the church. And the truth is, the early church does oftentimes fall away. The, the Galatian church, he, he, he wrote that letter early on in his ministry to the Galatians because they were falling away from the truth that he had spoken to them. The church in Corinth had fallen away. Even this church right here, the Ephesus leaders he's sharing with right here in the book of Acts, he's giving these instructions to them. Watch out, the wolves are gonna come. They're gonna twist things. They're gonna make you think things that are wrong or right. Be careful, watch out for them. Those are the instructions that Paul's giving. If you remember, when John writes the book of Revelation at the end, John says to the church in Ephesus, as he writes this to the church in Ephesus, he says, you have abandoned, this is in Revelation chapter two, to the church in Ephesus, you have abandoned your first love that you had. Even this church where Paul is giving these instructions to loses focus, fades away much more quickly than we can ever imagine. And Paul says, be careful, be alert, watch out, he says to those leaders. You're going to get twisted up. Things are going to sound good that aren't good. And then he continues on. And he says, it's one last example that he begins. Because he's thinking, I think, about this message. I think he's thinking about things that get twisted up. And all of a sudden, Paul's mind comes to finances, comes to money. And he says, be sacrificially generous. Remember, remember the things that I did. I, did, I, I, I didn't covet anybody's money. I, I worked with my own hands, Paul says. I did it myself. And I was generous with what I had. I helped those who were in need around us. I think, I think he does that because he's thinking about the ways that things get twisted. The message that might come in with the wolves into the church. And I think what Paul is saying is, is one of the quickest ways that things begin to get twisted is when we begin to think about finances, when we begin to think about what's ours. We quickly begin to twist things when we have our own idols that become questioned. Paul knows that our hearts that our hearts are selfish. Paul knows that we will gather things up and we will protect them as our own. Paul knows that we will try to hold on to whatever we can hold on to. And that but that will be one of the ways that our hearts get twisted. And so Paul says that, says, I did it with my own hands. Follow my example. Follow the things that I've done. Remember what you saw in me. But then reminds him of the generosity of God, that God has purchased the church. God has purchased you and I with his own blood. Paul says, follow my example. I was generous in the way that I ministered among you. 
But follow the example that was set by God. Follow the example that was set by Jesus, who with his own blood purchased your salvation. It's one of the reasons why we gather here each month. I will gather here in just a couple minutes. So that we might remember, so that it doesn't get twisted in our minds, so that we might remember the generosity of God, so that we might remember the sacrifice of Jesus, so that we might remember that we were redeemed with a price, so that we don't get twisted so that we don't become gatherers and hoarders, but so that we also are sacrificially generous as the example of what Jesus had for us. We're going to close our service this morning by sharing in communion together. You have an invitation in your bulletin. It's also on the screen, I think. We have open communion here at Richland. If you can live under this invitation, if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus, obtained by his own blood, who has made a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven, if you can live under that invitation, we want you to share in communion with us. In just a few moments, the elders will dismiss rows. And as we have been doing for months, we'll have each row come through and pick up their element, there's two cups in the tray. We hope that you'll pick up each of those cups. The bottom cup has the bread, the top cup has the juice. We want you to take those cups and then we invite you to just go back to your sot, to your seat, and to sit there, hold them together, and in just a few moments, we'll take them together. The worship team is going to lead us as, to sing as we share in that communion this morning. So I hope that you will sing. I hope that you will worship as the elders come and lead us in communion this morning.
body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us life, paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember He drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the King. And so with thankfulness and faith we steps of Christ as his body here on earth as we share in his suffering we proclaim Christ will come again and we'll join in the feast of Paul did not shy away from the whole counsel of God, telling them that Jesus' body was broken for us and that now you and I are the body of Christ. So as you take this today, remember that his body was broken for you and now you are called to be Christ as well. Take and eat. Juice reminds us 
of Jesus' blood that was sacrificed for our sin, that covers our sin. Take and drink and be grateful. Please stand this morning for our benediction. It comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. We already read it this morning. This is what Paul says to the leaders of Ephesus and what I think we go out with this morning. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Thank you for coming this morning.